Okay, thanks. Thanks. <clears throat> I love the fact that when we least feel like praying, um, we can read Psalms and realize that David was really ticked <laughs> sometimes when he would write music and write Psalms and, and say things. And I know for me, my alone prayer time, some proportion of them start out with, God, really? <laughs> you know, just like, really? And I think, I think God's not, not upset when we do that, not surprised, and probably welcomes that. And uh, it's good that we can do that with each other. We can just say, I'm ticked. So I'm not ticked today, okay? But, but it's, good, it's good that we can do that. Um, I am going to um, maybe get done a couple minutes early, mostly because my son called me at 8 o'clock last night and said, Titan's tickets too. Okay, we'll meet, meet you at Panera as soon as you get out. We're tailgating. So, man, I don't know which has more eternal weight of glory, but... I mean, they are winning this season, apparently. If it were a, a, a Vandy game or a UT game, then honestly, <laughs> we could stay here longer. Okay, um, Mike did a, did a great job. I didn't realize there's such an amazing table. I, if anyone didn't get this, um, he has it here. And so I'm gonna do some, here, I'm just, I'm gonna do some, uh, some review. Um, anybody got any thoughts or comments from the class so far this semester? Can, can I make one comment yeah. on this chart? Um, here's, uh, here, here's one of the things I want you to notice on this chart. Um, I have deaths here. The reality is all of us are in and out of all of these. And so I don't want to imply that if you're struggling with one of these areas, that doesn't mean you may be in some areas down here, which doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily die and go to hell, okay? And so I just want to make that a point, but if you live here, that's the result. If you live here or here, that's the result. But I don't want to imply that if, if because of a certain area of your life, you are one of these, that that's where you're going to end up. So I'm, I'm, I don't want that implication to be drawn from this, but if we stayed here, that would be the case. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it, we've said before in this class that while we as church people think in terms of right and wrong, did you never teach you right and wrong? You know, boy, you know, and so we teach in terms of right and wrong. God never speaks in terms of right and wrong. He speaks in terms of what things tend toward life and which things tend toward death. Which things, if they, if they keep playing themselves out, will be sort of death in your life, right? Um, and so um, I like to think in those terms. It, 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 we can think of, is this good for me or bad for me? That's another way of, of thinking about it. Because right and wrong leads you to a God who's like a black line God, and he's not. Um, while, while he knows what things lead to life and death, he also knows who we are. And he, he primarily rushes to our rescue. Sometimes he lets things play out so that we go, got it, right? I hate that now worse than I hated it when I first decided to get involved in it. Um, but he is a, um, yeah. So there was the tree of life and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And 
everything about the tree of the knowledge and good and evil was death, even when it was the knowledge of good, right? Because the, the primary place of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was, was I within myself can establish right and wrong, truth and non-truth. Uh, I do not need God to establish it for me. I myself, through my own knowledge, can figure it out. And, and that whole arena is death, tends toward death. Any other thoughts or about what, what's been? Um, okay, well, dive in uh, anytime. I decided to go back and touch on a couple of things. And so you remember um, <clears throat> the, the, at the beginning of the class, we talked about Paul talking about, I could not talk to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh. So pneuma men and sarco men, it's pneumaticos and sarkikos, but um, I couldn't talk to you because you're men of the flesh. And then a little while later, he says in that same book, or maybe earlier, he says, the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they're pneumatically, not like tires, but pneumaticosely appraised. And the natural man, the things of the spirit are foolishness to him, right? And so we find that, that there are three, three phases in us and there are three drivers in our lives or three ways that we frame life. And so one way is so the Sarkikos man is like, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we'll die. Come on, baby. Okay, and, it, and, and that's, that's kind of the life. That's the party life, the, the if it feels good, do it life. How can this be wrong? It feels so good, you know? If loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Baby, you're the right kind of wrong, you know? I mean, we'll call that the country music, you know, lifestyle, okay? Um, and then <clears throat> in the middle is Psychikos, and that is, is I, I, my, my mind, my will, and my emotions is how I live, right? And even Josh today in the morning sermon, he talked about your head or your heart. But when he talked about heart, he was talking about emotions. So he was, he was within the psychicos man, mind, will, and emotions. My thinker, my decider, and my feeler, and all of those. And that's how I live. I live out of my head. And even, even part of my head is emotional, but I'm still living out of my head, okay? And then we've got the pneumaticos man, which is I derive truth and I derive guidance and I derive life from the spiritual man and God's spirit within me. It comes from the inside and it waters the garden from underneath, just like the Garden of Eden. It says it was watered from beneath, not from the rain from above, okay? And so we talked about these kinds of men and then we talked about how, how I in the middle, the soul, who doesn't really originate anything, is hearing kind of the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And so you have this, this soul, mind, will, and emotions who can choose the way that it wants to live. And so it can live as a spiritual person. And by spiritual, I don't mean spiritual, okay? I mean spiritual or can live as primarily a flesh-driven person, or it can just live in, live in its head. Both of those things are, are, this is wrong and that's spooky, I'm gonna live in my head. I'm gonna, I'm, every, it's gotta make sense or I'm not doing it, okay? I am the judge of what makes sense and what doesn't. So, um, so we have been spending a lot of time on that. And the last thing that we, yes? Uh, we have one or two people here, here for the first time, so just mention Romans, Romans 8. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that stuff is, who's here for the first time? Okay. This is amazing women y'all need to get to know, by the way. <clears throat> okay, so the last thing that we, <laughs> the last, the la my wife certifies her, and she, she is, my wife is, a, except in choice of me, I was her project. The rest of it, she's 100% right. Okay, so, so Solomon, smartest person ever, says watch over your heart, and that word is to tend, to guard, to watch over your heart with all diligence. Now that light is right where I can't see it. Oh, here we go. For from it, from your heart, flow, and it's a funny Hebrew word, tutsaoth, which means the, 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 the things that, that gush into your life, the things that move your life along, the things, that, the things that propel your life, the springs, the outflowings of life. And he says, look, you need to watch over your heart. You need to guard it. God looks at the heart. When you stand before him, he will say, what is the condition of your heart? I gave you a heart Report back. That, that's when, when, he, when he picked David, he said to the prophet, he said, I don't see as men see, I look at the heart. And David was called a man after God's heart. And not after is like, I'm after you, but no, I'm mimicking your heart, God. That my heart, your heart, we mimic it together. Here's Jesus, and he says, look, what goes into a man can't, can't defile him as food. It just gets eliminated. But why? Because it doesn't go into his heart. But he says what what that proceeds out of a man defiles him for out of the heart. And so Jesus, and, and right ahead of this and in the other place, uh, in, in um, somewhere else, maybe it's Matthew, he says, he has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he says that, what he means is, this is key. Most of you will not get this. Some of you will. And right ahead of this, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Whatever. And then he says this about the human heart. So he's saying, look, you are what your heart is. The heart of man defines man. You cannot be anything but what your heart is. But you can have a change of heart. You are responsible for your heart. For some of you older guys who know what a flywheel is, your heart is like a flywheel. It, it changes slowly. Something can happen that doesn't change your heart. It changes slowly. You become a different person slowly. About the same time it takes to grow a garden. Okay? We'll talk about that. And so here's, here's, here's what David said about his life. This is a decision he made early on. I will walk in the integrity of my heart. I set no worthless things before my eyes. So those two are connected, right? If I'm walking in the integrity of my heart, then I'll set no worthless thing before my eyes. We'll get back to that. A perverse heart shall depart from me, right? I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not, what, fasten its grip on me. So he's giving us a key about hearts. Okay, so let's keep going. Everybody with me so far? I like how you say it. You with me? You with me? Yeah, you with me? Okay. Good. So, so here is a sort of a different kind of a diagram, body being outside, soul being in the middle, spirit. And then we have defined this heart, and I look back through my notes from like 20 years ago, handwritten 30 pages of notes. <laughs> I, I studied this forever. Not saying I got it right, but I am saying that it took me a long time to figure out that the heart wasn't the soul, the heart wasn't the spirit, 
but the heart laid between the soul and the spirit. And the best I could come up with was the heart was like a garden that was watered from underneath from the spirit and above from the soul. And your heart is exactly like soil. And it's within you. And it isn't your soul. It isn't like, boy, he sang with all his heart. Great. Okay, and so we've taken this word heart and we've, it has a different meaning in scripture than what we give it and what Josh gave it today. Okay, so there's the heart. So the heart is like soil. So, um, so again, Solomon, we always kind of start with him. He says, look, give attention to my words. Keep them in the midst of your heart for, the, for their life to those who find them. Right after this verse, he, he says another verse, and he says, tend, tend your heart. And he, he, he goes through the steps of how you do that, and I don't have time to do that. He says, tend your heart. And that word tend is the exact word that's only used three times in the Old Testament, is the exact word that God said to Adam and Eve when he said, tend the garden. Okay, he said, tend your heart. So cultivate it, watch it. Your job is to watch what goes into your heart because your heart is like soil. So here's, um, <clears throat> here's uh, Jesus again. And, oh, this is the one. He says, right before this, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he says, look, it's like a man who casts seeds upon the soil. He goes to bed at night, he gets up, blah, 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 blah. How it grows, he doesn't know. The soil produces the crop in and of itself. And when the crop permits, he can harvest. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven is within you or among you. This is how your heart works. You plant and you plant and you don't know how it grows. But all of a sudden you go, I'm a different person. Or I've been struggling with this forever and I, I don't now. Not sure why, right? Or I've been struggling to really love that person and I've been really meditating on truth about this and I do now. And I see, and so we bring about transformation in our lives by sowing in our hearts. Okay, that's how we change. You are what your heart is. I was uh, many years ago. I, I had my two rooms are like Peter and Paul. Okay, they were like both six six. One was a football player at Colorado State, and the other one was just a huge farm boy. And we were we were driving to uh, Denver to some gospel meeting, and a car skids out of control on the ice, comes across the median, heads right for us, and I go, oh, shh, that word. And Mike goes, Jesus. <coughs> the car spins, doesn't hit us. We keep going, dead quiet in the car. I'm driving. And he just looks over at me and goes, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> I was like, yes, it did. <laughs> and I know what was in my heart. Shh was in my heart and Jesus was in your heart. I mean, from that day forward, this verse became key in my life. I am only going to, the next time I'm close to an accident, I don't want it to be, oh, shh, okay? <clears throat> so here's another one. It says, um, bah, 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 the word of God, you accept it as the word not from men, but what it is, it is the word of God, which performs its work in you. So the word of God is sharp, active, living, dividing between the soul and spirit, bones and marrow, 
judging the intentions of the heart. The Word of God performs its work in you. God says in Jeremiah, I'm watching over my Word to perform it. So Peter says, everybody's leaving Jesus after he gives his discourse about drinking blood. And everybody's thinking, vampire, I'm out of here. And he says to Peter, are you leaving? He says, where would I go? You have the words of life, right? And so these, the words of God, when they're not in our head, but they go to our heart, become life. They reproduce in us. Um, <clears throat> so then here, Paul is talking about his ministry, and he said, look, neither the one who plants or the one who sows is anything, but God who causes the growth. So he says, look, when I preach, it's God who is causing the growth inside of these people. I'm not causing it. I'm facilitating it, but I'm not the one causing it. God is causing the growth, and he causes the growth on the inside. And the primary place of growth within us is not facts, not information, but a transformation of heart to become different people. There are things in our heart that need to go, and there are blank spaces in our hearts that need to grow. And the Word of God does both of those within us. And it's a process. He who began a good work in you, he'll complete, right? So it's a, it's a process. If, he, if it was shake and bake Christians, uh, we couldn't stand it. Okay, God couldn't stand it either. You know? And so there's a, there's a process. It's an organic process within us. And so if we look back at our picture here, then we see that there is X for external, rated input that comes from the world. It's not all bad, but it's all external. And it is like the rain from the outside. And so there are ideas that bombard us. But there is also G for God rated input that comes on the inside of us. So I can be in a meeting and there's external stuff going on, but I can have one ear on God. And I can say, God, what do you say about this meeting? And I've learned finally to live this way. It took God like, you know, 17 two by fours to the head when I was in college and graduate school. But I finally learned to refer everything to God all the time. And it, it radically changed my career. It changed my relationships. It's changed my ability to see what he's doing. I can walk into a grocery store and say, God, what are you doing? What's, is there anything you want me to be involved in? And it's like an Easter egg hunt. And it gets you complimenting a lot more people than you would otherwise. You know, it just, it just does. Uh, yeah? So do you just exercise, like, how do you grow that? Like, just, just, just practice, just by asking. See, see, God, well, we've said, and you actually know the answer to your question, but, but um, yeah, really well, in fact. So, so God isn't human, and his first language isn't English, but if we're okay with that, then God will speak to us in ways that we can ascertain and hear. There will always be uncertainty, always. Until we see him face to face, there will be uncertainty, but never risk in hearing God, okay? At, the, at Acts 15, they're trying to decide between grace and law, the council in Jerusalem is called. Silas and Paul go down, they have this huge debate and everybody's there, you know, Billy Graham, and they even let Benny Hinn come in. Okay, and so, so there, there, there's, there's this huge debate about grace versus law, and at the end, 
these men, the guys who wrote the whole New Testament, walk with Jesus, said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to say this to you. Seems good. I was offended by that first time I read it. I said, heck no. Where's the thus saith the Lord? Where's the burning bush? Where's the handwriting? That's a lot more important than when it happened back then. And, and God just really said to me, until you're comfortable with seems good, you'll be uncomfortable with me. Because I want to stretch you. And I will keep talking the way I talk, and you will begin to learn how I talk. And you will find that the way I speak to you is way better, way more efficient than English. Way better. Because you will become like me. You will be, see, you have a spirit too. I want you to discern in the spirit. I don't want to just give you instructions and information. I want to be your friend. I want to just look in a certain direction. You look and you go, I get it. Okay? He wants us to walk together with him in such intimacy that it's just, it's crazy intimacy. That's his goal for us. He could do anything he asks us to do better himself, easier. But what fun would that be? I can do everything I ask my kids to do, but what fun is that? Doing it with them is fun, right? And that's the way God is. God is like, I came to dwell inside of you, not to lead you, not to, I could be outside of you and say, okay, come on, okay, come on, come on. I'd get angels and we could, he said, no, it's better that I go because if I didn't go, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. And if the Holy Spirit wouldn't come, you'd always be getting a phone call from one of my assistants telling you what to do. But with the Holy Spirit, you have me inside of you. Me and the Father. And it's a little crowded, but we're all inside of you. Okay? But that's a, that's a really good question. And we should never despair of hearing God. There's always uncertainty. There's always, hmm, there's always a place where my mind wants to be real active. And I, no matter how often I say shut up, it just doesn't want to. And so I finally go, God, I'm just saying, okay, I'm trying, but, you know, old brain guys, like, really wanting to talk. And God's like, that's not a problem. Watch what we do with brain guy over the next three years, okay? And so we're good. At some point, we just simply trust him. And our job is just to lean in and listen. That's, that's, it's to set our heart, like David set his heart to say, I'll walk with integrity within my house. I'll set my heart, Lord, to hear you. I'll create a posture of hearing. That's, that's all we have to do is to create a posture. We're only responsible for our hearts. That's it. Not technique, not... If he can make a donkey talk to Balaam, you know, uh, he, he can... He has ways and means committee that's pretty amazing. So, so um, he can talk to us through any of this. A bird can fly overhead, and all of a sudden it has, as I would say, it has sauce on it. And you go, huh. And you start thinking, and all of a sudden you're, you're in a connection with God because a vulture. We have vultures nesting on our chimney. I'm trying to decide if that's a good sign. I just, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a good sign. If I shoot one with a 22, I know he'll die on the roof and stink forever, so I can't do that. You know, I'm stuck. But anyway, and so, so this then is, is sort of the dynamic that we have. And so we just need to have a filter that says, do you line up with the word of God? Stop it in the gate and say, do you line up with the word of God? Yes or no? Which means you kind of got to know the word of God, not didactically in Greek and Hebrew, but the simple. Okay. 
Any questions? Are we good? I mean, there's a lot of things floating around in your heads right now, okay? But that's, they're good things. They're really good things. And so then a crop grows. So you want to, <clears throat> you want to feel more confident about a certain aspect of your life. So you search the word to see what it says. But more than that, you sit with God and you say, God, what do you say about me? What do you say about this thing? And just listen. It, I'm an okay dad. And if one of my kids comes and asks me a question, you think I go, well, I'm a mysterious father. It might take months for you to even get a word from me and I'll, I'll indicate it on the, on the cloud. No, I'm like, no, okay? I'll talk to him about it. I, I found you ask God a direct question, gives you a direct answer. Now, if you ask him crazy questions like, what am I gonna do the next 10 years of my life? He's gonna go, uh, you know, if I told you, you'd go do it and mess it. That would be a really bad answer for you. Let me help you with a better question, okay? And so part of his answers are to guide our questions. I've learned to ask questions like, would it be okay if questions? Jesus, is there anything you want to say about questions? Would it be okay if, is there anything you want to say about questions? Because those are pretty open-ended, pretty simple. He can give really complex answers. I can't understand complex answers. But he can give a sudden thought, a sudden memory, a picture. Some catches my eye, and I go, is that you? What are you saying? Seems good to the Holy Spirit and me. Let's do that. And off we go, okay? And we do that. That was my alarm? Okay. Oh, good. Okay, so there is a tendency of sowing and reaping in our lives and in our hearts. Because it's a garden, whatever we sow, we reap. And so <clears throat> he says, look, lay up where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever I treasure leads my heart in that direction, and that's who I become. I become an antiques buff because I, I'm crazy about antiques, and, and that's all I talk about. People avoid me at parties, okay? Um, they love me at auctions, but they avoid me at parties, okay? And so I become, we become what our treasure is. Now here's Galatians. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. The one who sows to his flesh, right, over here with Sarkikos man, shall reap corruption. The one who sows to his spirit, pneumaticos man, shall from the spirit reap eternal life. And that's not just heaven life, that's the kind of life that is eternal. It's life to me. Don't lose heart. Now we say, oh, he lost heart. And that kind of means he gave up. That, is, that was not what it meant back then. It meant... Don't lose heart. Keep your heart in the game. Okay? Keep your heart in the game. So <clears throat> what we treasure focuses our heart. We sow what we value, and this is what we reap. So in sowing and reaping, it always works this way. You reap the same type of thing you've sown. You reap it later, and you reap more of it. That's what gardening does. You reap the same type of thing you sow. You reap it later. And often in life, you reap it so far later that you don't realize the cause and effect. Right? And you reap the same kind of thing. So if you're sowing dishonesty in conversation, 
you will find that people tend to, you, you run into dishonest situations that impact you. But you probably won't make the connection. Okay? But God says, look, God, God's not mocked. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Satan would love you to think there is no connection to your behavior and what you reap in life. But your heart is an absolute, accurate gauge of soil. Okay? If I spend a long time looking, talking to you like in a prayer session, I know what you've sown because this is what we're reaping. Or what has been sown, and especially with children, what has been sown into children when they're supposed to be protected, okay? You don't do all the sowing. Some people sow in you as well. So there's this sowing and reaping part of our lives, and this is the machinery. This isn't God doing this. This is the machinery of how the world works. There is a sowing and a reaping in life. It's not one for one. That's why I call it a tendency. But there is a tendency to reap what we've sown. It happens in nations. It happens in cities. It happens in people. There is a sowing and a reaping that goes on. And I can never say this caused that. It's rare that you can say that. Sometimes you absolutely can But when we judge, we're judged. Do not judge, lest you be judged. In the way that you judge, you will be judged. God's not saying, I'll judge you. He's saying, no, that's the way the world works. If you don't work, you're not going to have money. It's not me withholding money. Okay? You're not going to have money. Okay? So Satan hates the way that the word operates in our hearts. He knows that the word truth planted in our hearts and watered will transform us and take us out of his grasp, out of his control, will free us from his ability to influence us. He knows that. And so uh, Mike talked about this last time. This is really where I kind of wanted to end. So there's, there's three people who don't do well in the parable of the sower and the seed, right? And so you can see, uh, and. Oh, I was supposed to type in uh, Mark's verses in there. but So the seed on the path, the seed in the rocks, the seed among the thorns. And I think we all sort of know the parable pretty well. And I gave you just a very quick summary. But I wanted to ask four questions, and two of them are up here, and I'll try to remember the other two. Why did Satan come in all those instances? Why was Satan present? Why did he come in the first place? What's that? To steal, kill, and Say that again. To steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but why did he come? So, um, so the evil one comes, snatches it away. Here it says, um, no firm wound. And when affliction and persecution arise, because of the word, right? Frustrate the purposes of the sower. Yeah, exactly. So, so if, if you look at each of these, you, you begin to see... The reason that is happening is because there's something of, of the word of God in that person and Satan wants to stop it, right? Way better to stop it early than to try to combat a mature Christian later. And so Satan comes because you are engaging in the precursor to successful spiritual warfare, okay? You're like a young recruit and if he can just stop you in Boy Scout stage, you're done, okay? And so there's different ways that, that stopped. 
Now, why was he able to succeed in these three? That's the next question. Why could he succeed? What are some reasons? He doesn't play fair. He doesn't play fair. That's true. If you look at all, and I should have put the fourth one in here, Luke describes the, the fourth heart as an honest and good heart. What, there's something in each of these hearts that Satan can target. There's something ungodly, undeveloped, naive, not honest and good in each of those hearts. So he comes because of the word, he succeeds because of something in our heart that isn't, isn't right, isn't in order, isn't kingdom, isn't godly, isn't, it's naive. It, there's something in our heart that allows him to succeed. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I have much more to say to you, but I'm not going to say it because the evil one comes, but he has nothing in me. But he's like, I'm not going to say any more to you because he's got something in you. He's got a hook in you. He doesn't have a hook in me. All he's got left with me is trials. Temptation just doesn't work. It's just, I'm pretty immune. I mean, he bring trials all day long, but trials always end up for the good of the kingdom. Always. Never once have they not ended up for the good of the kingdom when someone is tried according to the will of God, right? Always, always. And so when we think about these three kinds of soils, we can ask ourselves, oh, one less, and then we'll be done. Um, so the Holy Spirit has a role then as well. Jesus is the author and perfecter of, of our faith, what's inside of us. Um, he who began a good work in you, Holy Spirit, he'll complete it. Romans says, we're not under obligation of flesh, and this is right back to the first class. Uh, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So, so what happens? So what happens is that there's something in me that is fair game for Satan. There's something in me. He doesn't play fair, actually. It's not fair game. It's unfair game for Satan. Um, there's something in me. And as I grow... The Holy Spirit allows that something to be tested by the evil one, or the evil one just notices it. Some, no temptation, test, or trial is overtaking you. That's not common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful and will never allow any of that to happen beyond your ability. Never. Because you're a child of his. Satan is stuck in an infinite do loop where all he can do is to look, search your heart, Provoke something that's not fully godly in your heart and hope to God you don't overcome. Because when you do, that thing goes away. Satan is one of the primary tools of God for our transformation if we cooperate with God. Yeah. Did you repeat the statement before that one? Yeah, so, so here's the deal. Satan has one shot to drag us to hell, and that is to find something in us and bring it to light and make us screw up with that thing. But when it comes to light, we're suddenly faced with a decision. We can hide. We can be the kind of soil that hides it, that, that is dragged, that is, or we could go, 
aha, what an opportunity. I'm such a jerk in this area. Hallelujah, not for long, right? And so then that becomes, if we're vulnerable, if we're humble with each other, if we're honest with each other, that becomes an occasion for a rapid change of growth that we consolidate then over time. It becomes an opportunity for a rapid dealing with something in our hearts, okay? So Satan's taking a risk when he, when he points up something to us. Yeah, Jay. You said with each other in there. If we're Humble with each other? Yeah, yeah absolutely, because... Yeah, totally not alone. You shouldn't go through the, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And that word healed means completed or, okay. So, so, so God has set up a system where we should know that when we sin, it's not us. Romans 7. So I could say to someone, man, I really struggled with pornography last night. It just, it bothered me. I fell and the person cannot go, oh, you jerk, or they, they don't go, oh, me too. They might, but they might go, man, come on. I know that's not you. You know that's not you. God knows that's not you. Satan's trying to convince you it's you. Let's pray together. When you confess it, he forgives that and cleanses you from all related unrighteousness. Confession is a way to go into your heart and go and get rid of that thing. So when we hide our sin, we primarily give Satan an opportunity to grow weeds and crap in our garden. Okay, that's, that's what happens. Okay, and so this process, so, so remember we're talking about walking in the spirit and mm, we'll talk, but what I would love to do is to do this exercise and you can do this exercise yourself. And so you could say, Lord, okay, so here's a, is there anything question? Lord, is there anything you want to show me about my heart that might give Satan an opportunity? Is there anything you want to show me? Just listen. Just, just listen. Just, let's just take eight seconds. So just close your eyes and just ask him that question. Okay. I know some of you are like, don't, don't snatch him out of this. This is just getting good. And I apologize, but we do have to go. Well, at least I have to go. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. Do it even with a friend or do it alone and just ask him. And then ask this question. Is there anything you want to show me about what I should do about it now? And then just do that. Yeah. These are excellent questions. And not that we need scripture to ask these questions. Yeah, search me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. Absolutely. Perfect. That's a great scripture for that. Yeah, search me, O oh God. Um, so we'll probably pick this up. I'll talk with Mike and Jeannie. We'll pick this up. We have two more weeks. Um, and we'll come back to this, this idea. Because this is, this is key to walking in the Spirit. This is like right down where we live about walking in the Spirit. Okay, Jesus, anything you said, put it in their hearts. Anything I just said that wasn't you, do whatever you want with it. Amen. Bless you guys.